Good morning, sinners. Good morning. Hey, everybody showed up this morning. That's a good thing. Well, uh, I've kind of been on a one-person crusade. I've preached all across the United States and uh, outside the boundaries of the United States a few times. And uh, one of the things that really bothers me is that uh, I know uh, John Wesley would say Methodists carry their Bibles with them all the time. And uh, I find that sometimes Methodists don't carry their Bibles with them. So I'm going to do a little Bible check this morning. I hope you came prepared for church. So if you got your Bible, hold it up high. Come on now. Who got that? Okay, you guys see it? All right, all right, that's a hymnal. <laughs> I know the difference. I can see that far. Okay. So if you got a pew Bible, that's great. Get out your pew Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. You know, if, if there's one place during the week you're going to use your Bible, just a, just a suggestion, just saying. <laughs> Might be church. So uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, this is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, that great sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's not too far from the beginning of the sermon that Jesus is saying these verses 13 through 16, uh, right after the verses about who's blessed, or another way to say it, who's happy. The happy people, the blessed people are like uh, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then uh, Jesus says this to his audience and also to us today. So listen now for God's words to us in these words of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. May God add a blessing to God's words in these words of Scripture. Amen. Well, I, I'm so honored to be here in this great church. I, I want to tell you all something about yourselves that you, uh, I don't know if you know this or not. You all realize in the North Texas Conference that you all are known as one of the healthiest best, wonderful, discipleship-oriented churches in the North Texas Conference? Do you know that's your reputation? I've been in the conference serving in youth ministry and singles ministry. I'm in my fourth decade. And I've always known about this church being a great, great place of ministry. A place where the gospel is lived out day after day after day. So when I heard from my friend uh, Marvin that their intention was to appoint our son to this great church. My wife and I did the Snoopy dance, i got to tell you. <laughs> we were so happy, and just as a point of personal privilege, I wanted to say thank you to you all for taking care of him. You're teaching him how to be a pastor. And for the next 45 or 50 or 60 years, the work you're doing with him is going to bless so many people in North Texas. So thank you so much for caring for our son. Makes me want to cry right now just how grateful I am for all of you. Uh, and, and 
another point of personal privilege. I think the first time in the history of the world, right now in this moment, three out of four Harrisons are preaching. <laughs> Georgia Harrison's preaching at First Methodist Wichita Falls, and Ricky's preaching at Pecan, and I think I'm third string too. Uh, I'm, I'm here with you guys. Um, and uh, we're just uh, really grateful to be called to this wonderful ministry that we're in. Now, the fourth Harrison is not preaching this morning. Uh, she's actually the helpful Harrison out of the four of us because uh, she actually saves people's lives. She's an ER nurse down at UT Southwestern in Dallas. And Marissa, thanks for driving all the way up here this morning. Pray for your dad. Would you join your hearts with mine as we go to God in prayer? O oh Lord our God, move among us so we, thy people, may feel your divine power and presence with us. Touch each one of us, heart, mind, and soul. Give us words by which to live, words which will mold and shape our lives after the example of your Son, Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, our friend. Amen. Now, I want you to get back out your Bibles and turn back to Matthew again. Because I want to go over a few parts of the Scripture that are really, really important. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. I want you to take note of a couple things. The very first word in verse 13 is you. Now, in the original language, in the original Greek, that's a plural you. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure scholars are still question this, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is from Texas. Because a plural you, the way we would say that is how? Y'all. Right? So that's what Jesus is saying here. Not just you, rugged individual in the United States of America, but you all, the blessed community of God throughout the world. You all. So verse 13, you all are the salt of the earth. Are you with me? Not just you, not just you, not just you, not just me. All of us, you all, are the salt of the earth. So tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, Neighbor, you're the salt of the earth. Oh, come on, play along. <laughs> tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell them they're the salt of the earth. Up there in the choir too, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then later on down there in verse 14, there's another you. And what do we know already? It's a plural you, right? So it's you all. You all are the light of the world. So tap your other neighbor on the shoulder and say, Neighbor, you're the light of the world. Amen? So are we clear this morning? It's all of us. Jesus is saying to all of us, he's not just commanding us, he's naming who we are. We're the people of salt and light. Be salt, be light. That's what Jesus is saying in this sermon. Are you with me? Now, I don't know about you all, but when I go around the world and I'm in airports or in a grocery store or getting gas or, or I could be anywhere, it just becomes really obvious to me that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things are not put to rights. This is not the way God intended for creation to go. Amen? Amen. Paul says in his writings, all of creation is groaning. All of creation. Not just you and me saying, oh, it shouldn't be this way. All of creation is groaning, waiting on the salvation of God. And so as I go around the world, I, I know things are not right, and I read Scripture, and I, as I read Scripture, I'm convinced, I'm betting everything I have on this Jesus thing. 
I think it's real. I, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want to do it better, but if I'm honest with you, really, really honest, I'm terrible at being salt and light. I don't know if you have days like that or weeks like that or years like that, but I'm just not very good at it. And so while I think God's on a mission to save the world and Jesus is calling us to be that salt and be that light in the world and God's mission to save the entire world, most days I just miss things. I don't know about you. Do you ever miss what God's calling you to do on any given day? I sure do. Um, my favorite meal of the day is breakfast. Any breakfast fans? Have any breakfast fans? And my wife would let me, I would eat breakfast like three or four times a day. I'd, I'd go way past second breakfast, right? And uh, uh, you just can't eat enough bacon in one meal to, to just have breakfast once a day. So when I'm out on, all right, I got a section. Um, so when I'm out on the road, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go to the uh, International House of Prayer. I think you all have one in town, don't you? <laughs> International House of Prayer, IHOP. Um, and uh, I'll get breakfast. Uh, it could be any time of the day. It could be really late at night or, or, uh, or in the middle of the day. I was down at San Antonio at a youth conference, and I was getting ready to give a lecture that night. And uh, so middle afternoon, I, the IHOP was right next to the hotel, so I went over to the International House of Prayer. And uh, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, nobody's there. It's empty, it's quiet, and I've got my Bible and my notepad and my notes for the lecture, and I'm working on that. And uh, the person comes up to serve me. And Now, my dad taught me a lot of things. One of the things that my dad taught me was to really pay attention to people's names, especially if they're wearing a name tag, and call them by their name, that that's meaningful to them. I've had people tell me, your dad was the only person that knew my name in our entire company. And I was the security guard at the door, right? So I learned that from my dad. So the person came up to serve me, and her name was Lorraine. And, and she just was very uh, unobtrusive. She came, and she was taking my order. And I noticed several things about Lorraine right off the bat. First of all, on her wrist, she had this huge brace on her wrist. You know, the wrist on the arm where she carries the big platter? that has all the dishes on it for the whole party of eight, right? And, and Lorraine looked like, well, my guess is she was in her mid-30s or maybe even early 40s, but she kind of looked like she'd been around 15, 20 years longer than that. She looked tired. She looked just worn out. And she was wearing the same kind of shoes that my elderly mother wore at the time for people with really bad feet. And so I noticed the shoes on Lorraine and the the brace on her wrist. And she took my order and she kept pouring coffee for me, which I love. And she didn't interrupt. She didn't ask me a lot of questions. You know, I'm sitting there in my Christian t-shirt with my Bible open, writing notes furiously on my notepad so that my lecture will be good that night. And she brings my meal and keeps the coffee coming. And is there anything else? And she just doesn't, she lets me do my thing the whole time. Just wonderful, beautiful, beautiful service. And so it gets time to leave and I'm pulling my cash out of my pocket to leave a tip. Uh, something else my dad taught me was that uh, always over tip your wait staff at breakfast. Because they work just as hard as the person that serves you dinner, but you know, bacon and eggs are about a third of what that steak and baked potato are. So they're working just as hard as the person that serves you the more expensive meal, so over tip breakfast wait staff. So I got my cash out of my pocket and all I had was $5 bills. And I thought, well, $5 isn't enough and maybe 10's overboard, but what the heck, my dad would do this, so I just left two $5 bills on the table, 
gathered my stuff up, went to the cash checkout, and I'm paying. And here comes Lorraine with my $5 bills in her hand. She said, sir, 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 you, you accidentally left these on the table. I wanted to catch you before you left. <sighs> my heart just sank. I said, no, 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 Lorraine, those are for you. Thank you so much. I haven't had better service in months, maybe years. You served me so well. You're beautiful and you're great at your job. And thank you so much. You're wonderful. Those $5 bills are for you. And Lorraine looked at the $5 bills. And she looked at me. And Lorraine looked at the $5 bills. She looked at me. And Lorraine looked at the $5 bills. She looked at me. Lorraine looked at the $5 bills. And just started shaking her head and looked back up at me. And she said, almost under her breath, that never happens. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Lorraine. You're, you're one of the best white staff I've ever seen. That should happen all the time. And she said, no, no. I didn't expect it from you. You people never do that. And we started in this dialogue, and the, and the manager was actually the person behind the cashier, cash register checking me out. And he came out around, and we sat on the little waiting bench there right by the front door, and we started having this conversation. And Lorraine says to me, you know what the worst day of the week is? And I'm thinking, oh, Monday, I don't like staff meetings. You know, my senior pastor's always on my case, whatever right? Sunday. You people come in here on Sundays and you call me names and you make fun of me and you leave me quarters. And so I saw you in your Christian t-shirt with your Bible and I knew you didn't do that on purpose. The anger in her voice. And the whole time her amen section the manager saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, people hate to work on Sunday. Nobody wants to work on Sunday. It's the worst day of the week. You people come in here. It's terrible. It's terrible. Something's wrong. Jesus says we're to be salt. We're to be light for the entire world, not just for the person sitting next to you in the pew, the entire world. Be salt. Be light. That's what Jesus says to us. He names who we are. We're the salt and we're the light. And if we, if we lose the saltiness, of what worth are we? Jesus is calling us to join God's mission in the world to save the world, every one of us. That's not just something those people out there do. It's what we're called to do when we go out there. Not just Sunday morning, but Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night, 24-7, 365. We're to be salt and to be light in all that we do. Back in the 1990s, uh, what some scholars call last century, tough crowd this morning. <laughs> uh, the United Methodist Church sent me to Washington, D.C. to be a part of a conversation to represent the United Methodist Church. In this conversation, uh, a, a nonprofit organization had called together every part of the Christian perspective. Every denomination you can imagine was in the room. Every Christian organization was in the room. Every single one. First time we had all been in the same room together ever. It was tobacco-free kids, and they, had, they were launching this campaign called Kick Butts. Still a tough room. Okay. 
And uh, they were launching this campaign, and they wanted to write youth curriculum that youth could use in youth groups and at uh, Youth for Christ meetings and in uh, Christian schools in the classroom. They wanted to write curriculum about why tobacco use was bad, wrong, uh, because our bodies are a temple for God. And so we're in Washington, D.C. I'm in this fancy, fancy hotel. I'm six blocks from the White House. And all I get to do is sit in this room and talk about not using tobacco the whole time. And we, we run to real late at night, and I get back to my room that night, maybe about midnight. And I think, I can't believe I'm in Washington, D.C., and all I'm seeing is the inside of a meeting room in a fancy hotel. And I'm six blocks from the White House. I want to see the White House. So I, I bundle up. I'm from Texas, so I have this lightweight jacket, and it's wintertime in Washington, D.C., so it's cold, cold outside in the part of February. And I bundle up as best as I can. I go out the front door of the hotel, and I can see the White House down there, so I turn left, and I just head towards the White House. And I'm walking down the street feeling pretty cold, and as I get closer and closer to the White House, I see this church on a corner, and all the lights are on. And the doors are wide open. It's midnight. The doors are wide open, and there's all these rolls of carpet coming out the doors. And I'm thinking, I guess they're remodeling in the middle of the night. It seems like a weird time to do it. It's so cold, and, well, maybe that's when they're not busy. I don't know. And the closer and closer I get, the more I see the bundles of carpet are moving. And I realize they're not rolls of carpet. They're people just wrapped up in cardboard and blankets and three or four coats, anything they can get, and they're lined outside the door. And what I learned later is they're all in the sanctuary on cold nights, on the pews, on the floor, and when all that space fills up, they go out the doors, and the church leaves the doors open so that at least some of the heat can get to the portico and to the steps. just pours out the door. Abundant love of that church for people on the streets. I try not to think about that too much. I just want to see the White House. So I go to the White House, and I stand there right by that wrought iron fence, and the, all the protest signs are just discarded as trash on the street, and the barricades are broken down, and there's kind of ribbons and banners all over the place. It's just trashed out. And I think, this is the White House. How cool. I'm standing right here looking at the White House in the middle of the night. My mom would be so upset with me if she knew I was walking around Washington, D.C. in the middle of the night. In the cold weather with a lightweight jacket, I would get be scolded even in my 40s for that from my mom. I'd be in big trouble. But I'm having fun. And about that time, I realized I'm hungry. I'm a Texas boy. I like to eat a lot. And uh, uh, so I, uh, I turn around, head back to the hotel, and I see these neon signs that say, down in the subway, there's some fast food places. And so there's steam coming up out of the subway because it's warm down there. And so steam's coming up. So I go down the steps. And I think especially my mom would say, don't walk around Washington, D.C. in the middle of the night and never, ever, ever go in the subway, right? That's what my mom would tell me. But I go down there, and about half the fast food places are closed, but there's a few open, and I gravitate to the one that has the word taco in the name. Like, I'm from Texas. I know how to eat tacos. I mean, how, how, how bad could they be in Washington, D.C.? Brothers and sisters, I have bad news. <laughs> Do not eat tacos in the subway in Washington, D.C. First of all, the hot sauce there is something that's like a really bland ketchup. Uh, and they call that the spicy hot sauce. So anyway, uh, so I go to the taco stand. It's like D.C. tacos or whatever. I go to the taco stand, and I get three tacos and a Sprite. And they give me the tray, and I get my fancy hot sauce that's bland like ketchup. And I go, and I sit down at a table, set my tray down, get my taco unwrapped, put that spicy bland ketchup on it. And I start to take a bite, and I hear, 
Mmm, that looks good. And I think, oh no, this is why my mom would tell me not to be doing this in the middle of the night. Something bad's about to happen to me, right? All my fears go up. And I put down my taco and I look over to my side and there's three distinguished gentlemen sitting there. They're just sitting there. Some of them have jackets on that are too big. Some of them have more than one jacket on. Some of them have uh, jackets that are too small. A lot of them are wearing shoes that their heels hang over the back because the shoe's too small. They're just sitting there trying to stay warm, these three distinguished gentlemen. And I, I don't know what came over me, but I said in that moment, I turned to them, I said, Oh, would you all like a taco? To which I got the response, I said that looks good, didn't I? <laughs> so I, I get up, I, I, I sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and I get up and I go back to the taco stand and I get a tray full of tacos, three tacos and three sprites for each of my friends, and I bring their tray over and I set it down in front of them, and then I go get my tray and I move over and I sit down next to them. I've made friends. And I get my... Cold taco now unwrapped. It's already got the bland hot sauce on it. And I go to take a bite again and I hear, you're doing this all wrong. I'm like, oh no. What, would you like something else? Do you need more hot sauce? Do you need some napkins? Do you need a straw? What do you need? They said, no, no, no. People will give us money. Sometimes they even buy us food. Nobody sits with us. And we started this conversation. And they said, what do, you, what do you do? You're not from here, are you? I said, no, 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 I'm from Texas. Yeah, we could tell. <laughs> Didn't your mother ever tell you you shouldn't be walking around Washington, D.C. in the middle of the night in the subways? And I thought, oh, my mom set this up. She's trying to teach me a lesson. She totally is behind this whole thing. And then we have this conversation, and they, and they say, what? why are you here? Why did you leave Texas? Why are you here? It's cold up here. It's warm in Texas. I said, well, I'm here to do this tobacco uh, curriculum to teach young kids not to, not to use tobacco products. By the way, all three of the distinguished gentlemen were chain smoking the entire time I was with them, right? And they're saying things like, oh my gosh, I'm glad you're doing that. These things will kill you. You should do that. Teach every kid not to use tobacco products. They're terrible. They're bad for your health. Now, so we're talking, and while we're talking and having this great conversation, eating our tacos, Two police officers start to walk through, and my friends kind of get real tense. And the police officers walk through, they look at me, and they look at my f distinguished friends, and they look back at me, and they walk on. And my friend said, thank you. If you weren't sitting with us, they would have made us leave, because they don't let us loiter down here. We're just down here to get as warm as we can before we have to go up in the cold. Nights are cold here. And so we ate our tacos, and I asked them if they would pray for me, and they said, you want us to pray for you, Pastor? And I said, yes, I need it. I need you to help me see people that need tacos wherever I go. I asked Lorraine to pray for me to help me to see people that are just being ignored or treated unkind. I need a lot of prayers. I need your prayers this morning that God keeps my eyes open and my heart open so I can truly be salt and light in the world because I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it at all. I don't know about you. But I need your help to be the salt and the light that Jesus said that I am. Jesus has already named us. And I need your prayers.
You know, I, I feel like this morning, if you decided right now in this town, in this county, if there, you decided that there was going to be no more homelessness, there's going to be no more hunger, there's going to be no more illiteracy, there's going to be no more loneliness, that you are the salt and the light, all the salt and the light that's needed to make those things come true. What if you could do a beautiful thing for God? The most beautiful thing in the world for God and you knew you could not fail. Would you be the salt? Or would you be the light? That's Jesus' challenge to us this morning. is to do what we were created to do. To season up the world. To light up the world. The way God intends it to be. God's putting things to rights. And we're part of that. We each have a role. We each have a unique gift. I tell youth all the time, my youth when I talk to them, that you know, there's at least one kid in the cafeteria that sits by themselves, and one of you is the only person with the gifts and the graces to reach that kid. Every youth in every youth group knows who that kid is. And I'm saying that to you this morning. Each of you know somebody in this community that's sitting alone. Outside community. They're sad. They're hurting. They're broken for reasons that you may never ever understand. And only you have the gifts and the graces to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. That God loves even them. That God loves them and there's nothing they can do about it. That God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't get any more love. You can't lose that love. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen? Amen. And God loves them and there's nothing they can do about it. Amen? Amen? I want to leave you this morning with a paraphrase from the message. Eugene Peterson's take on what the Bible's saying using contemporary language. It's not an exact translation, but sometimes it just really helps me when I'm thick of mind and thick of heart. So listen now one more time to Eugene Peterson's imagination as he imagines the words of Jesus in our language today. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on there on the hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. My brothers and sisters, this is the good news. Hear it, believe it, and live it. Amen.